0: Hello baseball and general life fans Likely Mad as Hell is brought to you by the Forever Dog Podcast Network Check out more great podcasts on foreverdogpodcasts.com And hey, if you like what you're hearing Please subscribe and give us a 5-star review on Apple Podcasts Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever the hell you get your podcasts Alright, now let's play ball That is scooped and lifted way out of here into left Bang! Starts the World Series out at second and out at first. Third double play turned tonight by Houston. High you know fly ball into left. Off the bat of Turner. At the wall. It's gone. likely mad as hell. But wherever you are, I hope the you again. Welcome to episode two of Likely Mad as Hell. I am Rhea Butcher. I am the host of Likely Mad as Hell. Once again, thanks to Jason Isbell, and the 400 unit for the use of that song. I guess what? I am mad as hell today, but not because of baseball. I can't even really say today, because it's tonight. In fact, it's tomorrow, but you don't know what day it is. <sighs> I just got in to a hotel at 20... 20.30? That's all I'm doing. <laughs> That's all I'm doing. I just got into a hotel at about 12.30 a.m., After a long, 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 long day of travel. So I was on a plane for almost the entirety of Game 1 of the World Series. But we'll get to that in just a second. I want to thank everybody that listened to Episode 1. That's pretty awesome. I'm really excited that you guys like wanted to listen to it. That's cool. I'm really just trying this out and seeing how it goes. So I'm excited that I got some feedback from some people. That's nice to hear. Um, shout out to any Houston fans that are listening and or following me on Twitter. I love your team. I really do. It's just that I live in Los Angeles. That's the thing. Also, I'm going to try to be as fair and balanced in these podcasts and the recaps of the games as I possibly can. And I'm also recording this from a hotel room. So if this one sounds drastically different than episode one, it probably does because Brett's not here. So I just have to imagine him giggling at my dumb jokes and puns and stuff. Anyway, um, but yes, I'm going to try to represent the game as a whole and not be super a Dodgers fan about it or something like that. I like to just talk about the game. However, this game, a little bit, it, since it was a bit of a pitcher's duel, kind of one-sided because there wasn't a ton of offense happening. So anyways, if you're a Houston Astros fan, thank you for listening. Thank you for following me on Twitter. I like your team. There's nobody on there I don't like. Well, Josh Reddick. (laughs) He needs to wash his hair, mostly. And look, he made those booze work for him tonight. So there you go. You got a hit. So yes, thank you for everybody that listened. Thank you to everybody that listened. It's probably going to irritate some people. I'm sure if I was listening to this podcast and somebody said, thank you for everyone that listened, I would be like, come on, say two. This is why I'm excited to do podcasts. I used to listen to them at my old office job in Chicago when I worked in the Sears Tower. I do not call it Willis and never will, even though that's literally what it was called when I worked there. So yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for giving reviews and stuff. It's in the sports category. Just like a kind of solitary queer person trying to make a sports podcast. Scary, Scary territory out there. All right, so... One thing that I didn't talk about in the first podcast that I did want to talk about is Dodgers specific, and it's part of the theatrical nature of baseball, which is the fact that Charlie Culbertson was the final call of Vin Scully's career. And so I think it's a a lovely, poetic sort of thing that he made the last out to send the Dodgers to the World Series. That's all I wanted to say. So let's get on to game two. Or game two. Episode two. Game one of the World Series. Now, I didn't get to watch almost any of this. I didn't. <laughs> I The satellite TV on my flight didn't work, which is like, oh, my diamond shoes are too tight. But I didn't get to watch the game. So you guys are listening to a recap of a game I didn't see. I did listen to some of it. My AtBat app was able to somehow function over the horrifically slow, yet again, not complaining, <laughs> go-go inflate Wi-Fi. But I will say something that was really fun and interesting, and I mean, hey, I got to watch it this way. Multiple friends were texting me with updates, and that was a pretty awesome way to experience the game. Because not only did I get updates of the game... I got to see and hear what they found to be interesting, which was pretty awesome. (laughs) Just pretty great, too. It was like a personal Twitter feed or something. So shout out to my wife, Cameron Esposito, Paula Tompkins, and Eric DeDorian for sending me updates. My wife just called in the middle of the podcast. That's what happens when you're on the road. You record podcasts from a bed while you have a television playing with recaps of the game and you try to get some of that information in your brain so you can relay it to the people that are listening to the podcast. And then your wife calls in the middle of the podcast. Okay, so, game one. I'm not watching it, not listening to it. It's very back and forth in terms of my ability to pay attention to the game. So, I don't have a ton of highlights for you other than what I have gathered from the brief uh, little segment that I watched on Scott Van Pelt just, just now. And if you are not aware of sports stuff, sports shows, who gives a shit? It's a dude that does a sports show. He has football helmets on his desk, I think because he likes college football the most. I mean, whatever. I don't care. Not a huge football fan. And it's not because I don't understand the game. I actually like the game. I don't like CTE. That's the problem I have. That's why I don't like football. Also, I came from a baseball family. We're not a sports family, you see. Baseball family. There's a thing I feel like in Cleveland, because the Browns and the Cleveland baseball team shared their stadium. Cleveland Municipal Stadium. Once football started, that was all anybody cared about. And the baseball field was totally torn up. So I always had like a bit of a chip on my shoulder for that reason, I think. I think that's why I felt that way about it. So game one, 103 degrees. So hot... I think this was the hottest game on record. This is f- for the World Series. It's not something that I necessarily fact checked, but I'm pretty sure. It was so hot that the scoreboard couldn't even, uh, project the actual score. It just said 10. <laughs> the stadium's so old it hasn't caught up to climate change. So there you go. I cannot, ima- look, I actually play baseball. Well, not right now because our season's over. I did practice recently, some BP and Just some fielding practice with two other people. But hey, you get it where you can. And I have played in temperatures that hot. I don't know how they were playing in that. Because I almost got heat stroke and I am not good at baseball. But maybe, I mean, I'm good at baseball, but not like these guys. I mean, I'm very good at baseball, obviously. But not like a major league baseball player. They have all kinds of different hydration and stuff. You know, They have high chew. I don't have high chew. So it's 103 degrees for game time. Also, the game has to start at 5 so that they get optimal viewership for everybody. So that didn't help anything. We've got Clayton Kershaw and Dallas Keuchel. Now, obviously you have the rotation that you have. Dodgers benefit from having the extra days off rest, especially benefiting from that is Clayton Kershaw, as opposed to Dallas Keuchel, who just pitched Saturday. It's only Tuesday. And it's not like that was an easy game to pitch. You know? I think we take that for granted a lot when you think about sports. Maybe you don't think that way. I'm sure that everybody that listens to this podcast agrees with me on everything. (laughs) But I can't imagine pitching on Saturday to try to save your team. Or wait, did he pitch on Saturday? Charlie Morton. Friday. Whenever he pitched. Jesus Christ. I can't remember when he pitched. Give me a break. I traveled all day. (laughs) Anyway. Dallas Heichel's pitching again. If I was wrong just now, just please ignore it. I had a crazy travel day. (laughs) Everyone was farting on my plane. Also, by the way, this makes no sense to me. I was in the window seat, and I had a full row. And there was a dude next to me who sat next to me for the whole flight. And then as we were about to land, he got up and sat in the aisle across from me with his girlfriend. Why didn't you do that for the whole flight? Why didn't you do that for the whole flight? Why did you sit by me? Why didn't you just give me the luxury of, why would you want to sit in a middle seat? Why would you want to mit, sit in a middle seat? This guy. He also had every, I think he was German, and because everything was in German, his book was in German, and he had his television in German, so the whole thing thing feels like Scheidenprout. <sighs> anyway. So we've got Clayton Kershaw and Dallas Keuchel. Cannot remember when Dallas Keichel pitched Last. Clayton Kershaw is finally getting to pitch in the World Series. Also, Dallas Keuchel is finally getting to pitch in the World Series for the Houston Astros. The Houston Astros are finally in the World Series. Also, the Dodgers are finally in the World Series. Now, I never thought I would ever say this as a baseball fan and a baseball fan that grew up with Cleveland because they've been in a bunch of World Series. Cannot seem to win the damn thing. Honestly think this was probably their best year, their shot, their best shot this year. And They lost their pitching coach to the Mets, which good for him. But I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. They had a rough first half this season coming off of that World Series loss, which I think finally now people are going to see how good they were actually playing with what little they had. Because a lot of people, you know, it's kind of like, And I understand. The Cubs story was obviously way better. Obviously. Obviously a better story. They don't have a racist logo. Plus, I mean, look, I'm not happy about it. I'm not happy that they won. But 108 years, they win 10-8 to in the bottom of the 10th. Come on. Again, good writing. 108 stitches on a baseball, 108 beads on a rosary. You cannot, you couldn't write that script. Cause somebody would throw it out. They'd say, this is too, I can't make this. This is too schmaltzy. Can't do it. But it's kind of perfect, perfect baseball writing. If Cleveland would have had one, if, if Trevor Bauer wouldn't have sliced his finger open, I don't know that the Cubs would have won the World Series last year. I don't know. I'm not saying this out of anger or anything. Cubs had a lot of things working for them. Earldest Chapman being one of them, unfortunately. But I, I thanked the 2015 Chicago Cubs in my first stand-up album. So I had a place in my heart for the Cubs. But then they beat your team, and it's hard to like it. So anyway. Happy to see Clayton Kershaw pitching in the World Series. What I was going to say is I can't believe that I'm considering 29 years to be a drought. It's not so much that, that I think 29 years is a drought. Because the Houston drought is... Uh, Way bigger. Even though they were in the World Series more recently, it was the first time. Now, they're a newer team, of course, but come on. One time, one single time, and they got swept? Come on. And Houston's a great story. Great city, great story, coming back, triumph, coming together. Great dudes on that team. But the Dodgers have gotten so close so many times, and Clayton Kershaw has been... Throwing himself into oblivion to get them into the World Series. I have to say, as someone who lives in Los Angeles and has been following the Dodgers since I moved to Los Angeles, it is satisfying to get him, to get to see him pitching in the World Series. And he pitched very well tonight. And so did Dallas Keichel. It's just that one of them pitched a little bit better. And that is what baseball is all about. You just have to be a little bit better. And that's what I love about this This World Series in particular last year, everyone thought it was super lopsided. Cleveland won the first two games at Wrigley. Everyone was pretty stunned about it. It was lopsided, but Cleveland was like pulling themselves up. And then the Cubs were stunned because they were young dudes. And then they had all this pressure on their shoulders. They're playing the first World Series in Wrigley since 1945. I can't even imagine and in terms of, like, pure baseball, Cubs won 100 games that year. They had a great season. But this one just feels like, oh, the two best teams in baseball are, are playing in the World Series. I don't know that I've ever—well, maybe the 1995 World Series, which, again, ended horrifically for me. <laughs> and also, I grew up as a—I've always—I've made that that awful baseball mistake, which I think we'll get into in the next episode— a little bit more of having dual fandoms. Cause I grew up in a Braves house cause we had TBS. And like I said on the earlier podcast, found out that my grandparents that taught me the game that got me into it. Cause they didn't keep score. They didn't have t-shirts. They didn't have anything. Nothing like that. They just liked watching baseball. That was it. It was that simple. It was a show they watched. They loved their players. My grandmother, if she was in the kitchen while the Braves were on, I knew John Smoltz was pitching. That's how I knew. She couldn't watch him. Too many full counts. He got behind too much. She couldn't stand it. She liked Tom Glavin. But 1995 was a terrible year for that reason. Because I'd have these dual... fandoms. I I would love two teams. One in the National League, one in the American League. And hope that they wouldn't meet in the World Series. And that's also what happened last year for me. In particular. These two teams that I really liked. Because I was following the Cubs all the way... I don't know why I was cheering for them through the NLCS stupidly thinking like, yeah, I want to see him in the world series, not realizing, oh, they're going to play my team. (laughs) That's pretty dumb, but you know, we make mistakes when we're in love. (sighs) So Clayton Kershaw, three up, three down, first inning. I did get to hear the first inning. The Houston first inning, the top of the first inning. Kershaw begins with K, my friends. Didn't get to see any of his pitches until recently. Looked like the curveball was looking pretty good until the third. And we'll get to that. So we have Kershaw, three up, three down. Then we go Dodgers half of the inning. My favorite, Chris Taylor, up to bat. The uh, former Mariners infielder that the Dodgers traded uh, Zach Lee to get Chris Taylor. Good trade. Pretty good trade. Chris Taylor... Having a hell of a postseason. He is the first player ever, ever, to homer in the postseason from shortstop and outfield. First player ever. This is also why I'm very grateful to be back in the game at this point in time. I was just telling my Lyft driver on the way to the airport, if you know me, you know I like to talk in lifts, And I was trying to get him on baseball. I don't think it worked, but maybe. You never know. I'm out there preaching the gospel of the MLB. You should hire me MLB. But I was telling him it's a really fascinating and entertaining time in baseball right now. Something happened and all the if any sports writers that I know are listening to this, you'll probably disagree with me a lot cuz you read more stats than I do. But I I really believe that beginning possibly with the Red Sox ending their curse and sabermetrics sort of taking over baseball. It's almost as though everything has been restarted. The whole sort of foundation of baseball, these record books that we look at, and the five or six players that we think of per category as being these sort of monoliths of that record, they're all being shattered. I mean, Jason Kipnis was the first person to hit a home run since Babe Ruth in Wrigley Field last year. I mean, What? <laughs> I think I talked about this last time. The whole reason I, I, I believe these Cubs guys were able to break the curse is because they had no context for it. So that's part of it. Red Sox curse is broken. They get al- almost all of the drugs out of baseball. That's also a huge part of it, too. I was raised on late 80s. I mean, I I started watching baseball when I, I think it was about four. That's how long I've been watching baseball. Because it would just be on at my house, and I would set up pillows to be the bases, and I would just run run the base paths. And honestly, and this is kind of narcissistic of me, but if you look at a baseball game, if you look at the box score, well, it's a lot crazier now. They don't. It's not as simple as it used to be, but it used to just say, runs, hits, errors. And that's the first three letters of my name. <laughs> so I think in my own... Sort of bit of narcissism. That's what was what attracted me to the game. I was already in it. I was already literally physically in the game. How could I not love this game? I'm already in there. So the, the, the sort of restart is almost like we're going back to what uh, people refer to as the dead ball era. And this was uh, a, a main talking point in the 2015 season more so than right now. But it's still relevant, and I'll get to it. Because this was a, a pitcher's duel. So all of this that I'm laying out here to then talk about the pitching statistics, it's going to come, come into play. So around the turn of the century in baseball, they used to just play the game with one ball. And I don't mean one ball at a time. I mean one ball. There was only one ball that they used. You hit the ball, you threw it back in. You hit a home run, it came back in, you threw it. You play with the same ball, so that ball would get really dirty throughout the game, and that gave the pitchers an advantage because the hitters couldn't see it. They didn't have lights then, so they were playing day games. So if you ever play baseball or just think about a baseball, it's hitting dirt, it's hitting gloves, it's hitting all these, it's hitting the bat, it's hitting everything. And players were putting shit on it—pine tar, spit, all kinds of stuff—because they didn't have the kind of rules like we we have now. So too many batters were getting beamed, hit in the head. And hit, period, with these baseballs that they couldn't see. And so they realized like oh, maybe we gotta maybe we gotta keep these guys around since they're playing the sport that's making us money. Let's change it. So they they made the dead ball rule. And you can look up the year. I didn't bring my laptop with me. I just didn't feel like it. I should have. I didn't think about it. You don't care. I'm telling a story. So So they they Make this rule, dead ball. Essentially, every time a ball is hit, you don't use it anymore. Over time, it becomes every contact, every piece of contact. If a pitch hits the dirt, these days, they switch out the ball all the time. If you watch a baseball game, you'll see that happen a ton. Originally, it was like just it got hit, they would switch it out. A ball would stay in for the whole at-bat if it was just thrown. So you can see how that evens the playing field a little bit. It tilts it considerably. More back towards the hitter. So then that's when you have Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Joe DiMaggio. It tilts from the, the Cy Young sort of days to the Babe Ruth sort of days. So baseball has always had this sort of ebb and flow of who's, who's in control of the game, you know? And I think when I was watching it, it was becoming a pitcher's game again because you're getting into the era of, of those Braves pitchers. Now, I'm the kind of baseball fan who, I kind of just stay in my own lane. I stay in my lane of what I remember happening. So I don't have all the stats of all the times of everything that's ever happened. I love hearing about that. I love learning those things. But I've never gone back, and I couldn't tell you all of Stan, I couldn't tell you Stan Musial's, you know, batting average. I'm sure it's above the Mendoza line. (laughs) But I don't know what it is. Does that necessarily matter? I don't think so. So that's the time I grew up in and I'm really enjoying this time because to me it feels like you get both. You get really just powerful, dominant pitching and you also get very powerful, very dominant hitting. And I think that's just like the evolution of sabermetrics and PEDs coming out of baseball. It's leveled the playing field and now you can really just, players are just focusing on the game. And people want to break home run records, but also they don't, you know? They just want to win the game. And if you're going to win it by a home run, great. If you're going to win it with a strikeout, great. kind of feels like you just want to win the game. And that, to me, is a really exciting time in a sport when it's not necessarily about going out and breaking records. Because that's kind of what I remember from my youth is like, oh, who's going to break the home run record? Who's going to break? That's all anybody was talking about. Thank God we finally did that so we can get to this, right? So, two, game one. Kershaw. Oh, yeah. I haven't finished my Taylor story. So Chris Taylor comes up to bat. First pitch hits a home run. Now, back on June 26th, I sent my friend Andrew Orvidal, of those who can't fame. He was also in my fantasy league. We're also just baseball pals in in general. I sent him a text that said, I said, Chris Taylor's going to win the World Series for this team. Mark my words. I also tweeted that, but then I deleted it because I hate making predictions because I'm very super superstitious. However, I'm trying to work on that. So I'm just trying to make statements that I believe in. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And if I'm right, I'm right. I convinced my friend who was very... who was not going to go to the game tonight. She wasn't going to go because she was afraid if she went, they were going to lose, then she was going to be upset. She loves the thing. She didn't want to lose the thing. I convinced her to go and she had a great time. So I'm trying to work on that. I, I suggest it if you, if you believe in like bad luck and stuff like that, try to work on it. It'll make you feel better. So Chris Taylor hits a home run off the first pitch in Dodger Stadium, first World Series since 1988. Not a long time, but also a long time for a big market team like the Dodgers. He hits a home run on the first pitch. Think about that. That's crazy. I should say, that's wild. He's also the first person to ever do that. In 113 World Series games. In 113 World Series game ones. No one has ever done that. And he did that. And he was, I don't know, a third string utility player for the Mariners. (laughs) And now he might be—he's—he's he's definitely contending for the MVP of the series. Just blown away. He's been my favorite player since Andrew Tolles tore his ACL. Just wild. This was also the shortest World Series game since 1992, which was the Toronto Blue Jays versus the Atlanta Braves. The winning pitcher of that game was Jimmy Key, and the losing pitcher of that game was, oh, you guessed it, Mr. Tom Glavin. So Kershaw's pitching pretty well until he matches up with Alex Bregman, the third baseman who made that tremendous play in the ALCS to rob Greg Bird at home. You know, I say rob Greg Bird at home, but honestly, he didn't rob him. That was such a great play. That wasn't even bird's plate to take. (laughs) I mean, that throw, you could not have, you couldn't have thrown a better throw. It was exactly where Brian McCann's glove needed to be. And he had cleats in his forearm. I mean, I just, what a perfect throw. Perfect throw. Alex Bregman also looks to me like, he's like one of those dudes, and there's a lot of dudes like this in baseball, who look like, Little video game dudes, like from RBI baseball or something. Just like very stocky, just taut. Their arms are just like slingshots. (laughs) He's, I don't know how tall he is, but like, man, he's just so compact. So that made that throw even better. And then I finally got to see the home run, but yeah, Kershaw left that curveball up. That should have gotten, that should have been a home run. Kershaw's just got that problem. But if you can get tagged for one home run and not allow anything else to cross the plate, it's all right. Trust in your offense to hold you up. So he gives up the one home run. Other than that, not much Astros deep offense to speak of, unfortunately. And again, like I said, I didn't really get to watch the game, and all the recaps I've watched have been pretty Dodgers-heavy because they had more offense. So Dodgers hit into a shit ton of double plays, which is not ideal. If you don't have a... If you're one of the folks that are listening to the podcast and you aren't a big baseball fan or you don't even watch baseball, essentially a double play is like, it just eats you up. If you get a double play, you either are out of the inning because there's already one out because somebody popped up or you've already got two on the board. And so you just have one more out left. So it's not ideal. (laughs) It's not ideal. Definitely not ideal. I forgot to look up how many double plays we grounded into. It had to be at least six, right? Feels like it. If it feels like six, that's too many, even if it's not six. If it feels like six, that's way too many ground uh, double plays. So it's the shortest game. It's the hottest game. Chris Taylor hits the first first pitch home run in the first game of the World Series for the first time. Then we get Turner. Now, I got to watch a little bit of this on the Scott Van Pelt show. They had Charlie Blackman. Why am I saying? I'm tired. (laughs) Charlie Blackman on there, who's... You got to check out his off-season hairdo. If you thought his in-season hairdo was wild, check out his off-season. Just look. It's great. (laughs) So he's on to give some, like, I don't know, uh, you know, player thoughts on on the first game. And so they're talking about Justin Turner. Now, he strikes out. Dallas Keuchel sets him down pretty quickly. Then the next at-bat, he fouls out. He's late on an inside pitch. So what he does is he goes to the dugout. He watches the tape. He sees what's wrong. And the adjustment that he makes is that he gets a bat that is an ounce lighter than the bat he was using for those first two at-bats. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Charlie Blackman is like, I would never do that. (laughs) But that's what Justin Turner does. He says, I would choke up, I would make those kinds of adjustments, but I would never switch out bats. Justin Turner switches out bats. Guess what he does next at bat? He hits a two-run home run to put the Dodgers up by two, which ends up being the game-winning home run. Baseball is a game of adjustments, and that's something that I'm learning as an older person watching the game and really starting to see it more fully as like from the manager's perspective, like making all these different moves, paying attention to the lineups, who's in, who's out, really starting to enjoy the the full, the whole game, but really adjustments is something to me that's, it's just, oh, I love it so much, and I think that's what's, Throughout the entire season, I've watched a lot of baseball games. I've watched a lot of games that are not the Dodgers and not Cleveland. I watched a lot of other teams. I would say the thing that has gotten the Dodgers as far as they've gotten, and I would say is a benefit over the Astros on top of their stellar bullpen that we've already seen, is that they make a lot of adjustments. Even And specifically, Cody Bellinger. When he would get into hitting slumps, he would make these very drastic adjustments. And I say drastic not because they were large adjustments, but he would go up to the plate and he would draw a box and draw a line (laughs) in the batter's box where he needed to put his feet because he was scooting up and scooting back and scooting this way. And so he was like disciplining himself to get back into the... This is the thing. These are the things that the Dodgers are doing to make in-game adjustments to make sure that they're winning the game. Now, side note, I've got a sports center something on and I just got to watch Jackie Robinson's kids throw out the first pitch tonight. Now, if that doesn't melt your heart, (sighs) Rachel Robinson is, I think, 92 years old and she looks like she's 70. (sighs) That's what doing good works and that's what doing good in the world can do for you. So adjustments, that's a big deal. I don't think the Astros made a lot of adjustments in this game. Made a lot of guesses on pitches instead of, instead of seeing where the ball is, I think. That's their big change they need to make. So I'm curious to see if they make that for tomorrow night. Rich Hill, I know he doesn't seem intimidating, but he's got some command. He threw that perfect game that the Dodgers blew for him. That thing was under a hundred pitches. And he used two pitches for the entire game. Also, in terms of pitch counts, Clayton Kershaw threw 83 pitches tonight. 83. And he threw 11 strikeouts and no walks. The last time somebody did that was Randy Johnson in 2004. I believe in the NLCS. I think he might even be the only pitcher to throw that many strikeouts with those few pitches. He set some kind of record with this tonight. Just a good, I mean, 103 degrees. It was a hot one. It was a hot one. So there's game two. (laughs) I did it again. There's game one. That one's in the books. This one's a little shorter. I'm in a hotel. Also, the game was pretty short, so kind of makes sense that my podcast would be too short. I want to give a shout out, though, (laughs) to a player on the Dodgers team. (laughs) Sorry. I know this sounds very weighted, but... Kike Hernandez, the guy who hit three home runs, one of them being a grand slam in the NLCS to send the Dodgers to the World Series, he just seems like a really nice guy. I posted a photo and tagged him in it because I have a banana shirt. And he had this thing when he first came to the Dodgers where he would he would wear like a rally banana, like a whole costume. So people would wear bananas out in the outfield and stuff. So I had this shirt. It reminds me of him every time I wear it. I tagged him in it. This is the day, the first day of the World Series. He liked my photo. That dude is getting ready to play in the World Series and he's out there liking people's photos. How adorable is that? Pretty adorable. Kenley Jansen came on, did what Kenley Jansen does thrown 27 strikeouts in the postseason. Just brutal. Just brutal. But anyway, game two coming up. We got Rich Hill and Justin Verlander. The Astros are 9-0 when Verlander pitches. So let's see. Can Houston steal one at home? They have not won. They're and 1-5-something on the road. They are not winning on the road. So we'll see. But this is the World Series. They could turn it on. If I was A.J. Hinch, now this is a big move. i put somebody else in the leadoff spot. I don't know. Literally anybody else. George Springer's not seeing the ball. He's not pulling the trigger. You gotta get on base when you're that leadoff hitter. There's nothing worse than being a leadoff hitter and striking out. I did it way too many times. Get hit by a pitch. <laughs> you can't just do that. But anyway. So we'll be talking game two next time. Thank you so much for listening. I know this was a weird one. I'm in a hotel. I've got an exciting surprise for the next episode. I think you're going to dig it. And then the next episode's also going to have a guest. I'm pretty sure it's locked down. So that's going to be really exciting. But thank you all for listening. Thank you for your patience with my road weariness on this episode. Curious to see what the Astros do. Curious to see how Verlander looks. It's going to still be hot. So Cameron's going to that game. I'm not. I'm going to be working. So I'm not going to get to watch that game. I'm going to have to catch up with it on DVR. But I hope you guys catch up with me. This has been likely mad as hell. And once again, I absolutely am. My hotel is loud as hell. I'm literally looking at the street. I might as well be sleeping Whatever. (laughs) And the hotel is full. I can't move. I was so tired I got in the hotel room. I thought, oh, it doesn't have a bathroom. Okay. (laughs) Have you ever been that out of your mind? I have. I currently am. Well, I'll see you all next time. Thanks again to Forever Dog. And thank you to Farrell for putting this out. And thanks one more time to Jason Isbell and the 400 unit for the song. And thank you to Major League Baseball for existing. Thank you for Baseball for existing. Thank you to the U.S. Women's National Baseball team. I'm going to be talking about them later on. And thank you to the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Houston Astros for playing in the World Series this year. I really appreciate it. It's been super exciting. See you after Game 2. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm,